Uh, as a teacher in public school system, I rarely find opportunities to directly challenge the worldly, secular mindset of my students. But because I teach a class in rhetoric, which is the use of language, I always want to go through the school definition that I give my kids, the use of language, I have accidentally stumbled upon the opportunity to do that in a public school, and I capitalized on that. The course curriculum requires me to instruct the students in an appropriate method of writing persuasive and argumentative papers and building those techniques in their writing to be able to create a sound or a valid argument, uh, which is basically just a statement, not argument in terms of conflict. So early in the course, I asked my students to consider how they can effectively argue for the good of a particular cause or situation or the bad of a particular cause or situation if they don't know their own set of beliefs. So I challenged them to explore their beliefs. What do you believe? I tell them how my own Christian beliefs, this is, this is where I get to, I give them a disclaimer that I'm not going to preach to them in school, but they do need to know that as a teacher, uh, in order for me to give them the best that I can give them, I have to be governed by the beliefs in my life, which happen to be Christian. So uh, if that bothers you, I'm sorry. But if it doesn't, then good. Here's why I teach the way I teach. But I tell them those, those Christian beliefs govern my life. And then I challenge them to write a paper in which they can clearly articulate in writing what they believe and why they believe it. Well, most of the students struggle with that assignment. They, they just don't, they have no concept. They don't stop to think about what they believe or why they believe it. Most of us don't on a daily basis. But some of them have told me that uh, they've never taken the time to think about it. A number of them give me a response of, I just do what I think is right in any given situation, which is a very typical but weak mindset. I tell them that that answer is actually a cop-out, that they are just too scared to dig into their own thoughts and their own minds and their own hearts. And uh, I tell them they have to go back and, and consider that question, reconsider that question, until they can actually um, respond with a clear answer. And they have to write a paper. So in being able to teach that, I always tell my students I won't ask them to do anything I can't do, won't do, or haven't done. So I've written that same paper myself several times, and several times over the years I've examined my own beliefs. But today I want to do that here. I'm going to again ask myself, and I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask the church the same question that I ask my students. What do we believe? Why do we believe it? As a church, we don't stop to think about that very often. And yet, everything that we do in this church, in community, revolves around that very same thought. What do you believe? Why do you believe that way? And how does it cause you to act in community? The question itself seems vague, but if we wrestle with it enough, it can help us figure out the things that we value, both individually and communitively as a, as a church. So I want to focus the question today specifically on Lakes Region Vineyard Church. But each of us can apply the same ideas and concepts to our individual lives. So this is both a personal word 
and this is also a corporate word. See, if we really want to know what our beliefs are, we look at three areas. The things we do, the way we treat ourselves and others, and the reasons why, behind why, we do what we do. The reasons behind why we do what we do. So let's take the first two and put those into perspective pretty quickly. They're pretty easy to do. What are the things that we do as a church? How do we treat others and ourselves? Well, this is very much a, a face of our church, and so it's very important to consider. This is what people see. So if you were to take a look at our website or look in the visitor's packet, you'll note several things. There's a list of things that we do as a church, and there are several ways we treat each other. For example... I'm going to quote from the website, we draw into community and get connected with God. That's something we do. We engage in conversation that we will bring each other closer together. We start our weekend services with a time of worship. We encourage all people to participate. We have a time of teaching based on, the, on God's word. We use the Bible to instruct, exhort, and encourage each other into good works. We have times of prayer, and we come alongside you and pray with you. And that's just the website. If you think about some, so many of the things that go on in this church, I could list all the various ministries, but I'm not talking about that in this sense. Those will come through as we talk about the, the uh, vineyard values over the next few weeks, months, whatever this is going to take. But we're going to be looking at those things and examining that uh, to, to really kind of create a basis of belief for our church. Why are we here? I'll come back to that a little bit later. So why do we do these things? Well, the reason can be determined by what we value as important. Why do we do something? Because we consider it's an important thing to do. Personally and collectively here at the church, our beliefs serve as a basis for what we value as a church. We can define values as important or lasting beliefs or ideals that are shared by the members of a particular culture. That's a dictionary definition about what is good or bad, what is desirable or undesirable. Let me break that down. We have a, we have a shared set of beliefs in this church. We're, that's what we're going to be exploring so that it's out there and it's clear and we all understand this is what our church is made of. And that's because we all share those beliefs. Values have a major influence on our, on our behaviors and attitudes. Values serve as broad guidelines to work towards personal or collaborative goals and outcomes. In November, Pastor Dick delivered a message titled, The Value of Values. In that message, he stated the following, I'm quoting from him. Jesus valued the Father's values because he knew the Father, and he wants the same for us. Jesus lived a life of power, compassion, intimacy, integrity, and sacrifice. He went on to say, we can live the same way, by learning those things which Christ valued and doing them, doing the stuff. We pause there. What did Christ value? He valued what God valued. 
And so we can learn to live the same way as Jesus did. Power, compassion, intimacy, integrity, and sacrifice. We can live the same way by, uh, by uh, adopting, by joining, by believing those same values, which helps us to do the stuff. Jesus does what the Father does because he values both the action and the fruit of what he sees the Father doing. We don't always have to look for the end result. Sometimes the process itself is good. Values help us to do the stuff. Values help us to figure out what is important to us, that which gives us worth, what motivates us, that which gives us purpose, and what points us in the right right direction, that which gives us stability. So having a basic set of values will help us walk an organized, if you will, life, one that's effective. There are three basic Christian values for every Christian that help us to live what we believe is a good life before God. The first is to love God and worship only him. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, we read, one of the scribes came to him, I'm sorry, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And in Luke 4, verse 8, Jesus, speaking to Satan, who was tempting him, said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the first principle or first value in the life of a Christian to live a good, effective life is to recognize and live by our revelation of Jesus as the source of life. When he reveals himself to us, this becomes our first value. And simply knowing about him is not good enough to do that. It's something we have to live. Pastor Dick told us a little over a month ago that Christianity is not a learning process. It's not something we learn about. It's a living process. And it's more than a way of living. It's a way of life. So it's not something we do. It's something we are. The next basic Christian value is to love others and care for them even to the point of forgiveness. In Mark 12, we read, the second is this, going back to the commandment, the first commandment, and the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Colossians 3, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's community. As Christians or Christ's followers, we need to put on love. Now, this is an act of decision. This isn't an accident. It doesn't happen. It says put on. That's a verb that requires a cognitive thought that says, I will do that. So we put on love. It's not an intentional act to do. 
what we know our Lord would do. I'm sorry, it is an intentional act to do what we know our Lord would do. The things the Father does. Because God is love, as we read in 1 John. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in him is, abides in God, and God abides in him. So the second value is to care for others, even to the point of forgiveness, love. The third common or basic value in a Christian's life is to be virtuous and humble. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And in Philippians 2, we read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The Puritan teacher Jonathan Edwards said, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true Christianity. We need to adopt Jesus' way of thinking. We need to adopt his values and his attitudes and let them become ours. Humility is having a realistic idea of who we are before God and others. We must never think too highly or too lowly of ourselves. Scott spoke about that this morning. We're going to come back and visit that. Rather, we must be honest and, and realistic about who and what we are. We have been called and redeemed by the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord and Creator of all things. I have a maxim taped to the side of my bookcase that came from the Experience in God course. It may sound familiar to some of you. It says, I am a kingdom person, and Christ is my king. Now, the statement is neither self-promoting, nor is it self-humiliating. But it reminds me of my perspective in the kingdom of God. And that's why it's in bold letters in front of me. Every time I sit at my desk, I can look at that. I am a kingdom person, and Christ is my king. So I have to keep a realistic view of who I am. I can be neither self-exalted nor self-abased because of the, who I am. You see, we serve the king of kings. We serve almighty God. And we can walk rightfully upright in that heritage. We don't need to cower. We don't need to grovel in fright or fear. And we don't need to walk around in any appearance of self-imposed humility that's falseness. However, neither dare we walk with arrogance because of it, parading our heavenly heritage with haughtiness or conceit. I want to read to you from Hebrews. It's not on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. I'll just 
lost my spot. There we go. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. See, we can walk in the confidence that comes by the blood of Jesus Christ. That when we are walking in humility before God, it's not groveling before God. It's standing upright before God through the blood of Christ and the righteousness that comes through that blood sacrifice that allows us to stand in the presence of Almighty God. So we don't need to hide. Neither do we need to fake it. The humility comes not from being low but it comes from being low-minded, as Jesus was. We are admonished over 70 times through the Bible of the benefit of being humble before God and man. But there are over 360 verses that mention the words strength in the Lord or strong in the Lord in some fashion. For we belong to God, the creator and king over all things. And James phrases the lesson the best. Humble yourselves in the presence of the, of the Lord, and he will exalt you. And it's repeated in 1 Peter. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So we need to walk with awareness. We need to present to the world and to each other him who called us. But if the principles I've mentioned so far are all demonstrated in the New Testament, we call them Christian values, then let's look back to the Old Testament for godly values. Three ways to direct our worldview here emerge also. First, we are to look toward God, have faith in his plan and his provision for our lives. In Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 11, we read, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So in these verses, we see that God declares his provision for us, as well as demonstrates his expectations of us and the outcomes of responding to those expectations to be godly, to look toward God. The second direction for our consideration is, to, is a value toward others. In the sixth chapter of the book of Micah, we find the single most defining statement in the Old Testament that expresses a proper relationship with God. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In this verse, the reference to the word good points to Jesus. He has told you what is good. When Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler, came up to the conversation, and he said, good teacher, 
presented the question, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then later on, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So Jesus is good. But note that he never actually denied his divinity when he said that. No one is good but God, except God alone. He just directed the question at the young man and challenged him to think about what he really believed about Jesus. Challenged his basic beliefs. Therefore, we recognize that Jesus, why Jesus is good, but what does he expect of us? Goodness. The scripture says plainly we are to do justice, which is an act of virtue. We are to love kindness, which is an act of compassion. And we are to walk humbly with our God, which is an act of worship. Oh, I just confused that. Because that with our God is actually a prepositional phrase, English teacher. But when you take a phrase like that, you can apply it to all three of those. So listen to this. Do justice with your God. Love kindness with your God. Walk humbly with your God. You see, Jesus walked in humility. And if we're walking with him, how can we do anything else? The final Old Testament godly value is to live a life that is holy and pure with respect to the world, to live in purity before the world. In Leviticus, God told the Hebrews, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, for I am holy, which means to set yourselves aside. You shall not defile defile yourselves, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now, the word holy here means separate, dedicated, set apart. And that's what God wants from us. He wants to be set apart. He wants us to be dedicated to him, to be separated from the worldly ways that that are a result of sin against his holiness. So he calls us to walk a walk of purity before the world. So in 2 Timothy, we read that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Therefore, we've seen that Scriptures in both the Old and the New Testaments give us values and demonstrate a purpose and meaning for our individual lives. Likewise, we need to have a set of values that will demonstrate a purpose and meaning to this community of believers known as Lakes Region Vineyard Church. So three questions come to mind at this point. Why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Why do we do things the way we do them? We're not going to go into those today. But to answer these questions, the Vineyard Movement is based on five core values, each of which is founded in Scripture. These values are, for lack of a better word, standardized among the Vineyard Churches in the United States. And they exist in some form of values expressed by Vineyard Churches around the world. In doing research, I found uh, the websites of various churches, some from Africa, some from Europe, some from Asia, so that the vineyard churches around the world express the same essential core values. The wording may be different, 
They may have added a few things, but essentially the values are there. So it's something that God has seen to put into the vineyard movement that gives us meaning. So I want to read a few excerpts from one of the paragraphs in our Core Values and Beliefs booklet, which will be available to you at some point. We're going to be bringing that out as, as this rolls, in, rolls into a series. Vineyard is a movement centered in a renewed understanding of the centrality of the kingdom of God. Okay? Let's understand that. We focus on, on the kingdom of God as central to our existence. Vineyard has been committed to the proclamation of the kingdom of God and bearing witness to the deeds of the kingdom through spiritual, physical, emotional, social healing, doing justice, and delivering those held captive by evil. So we can look at the various ministries that go out throughout the church that proclaim to each other here and to the world the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a... Is a is, a, is God breaking, through the, breaking into the present through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We are a movement emphasizing the ever-reforming nature of the church, engaging the world in love. So we have focus on God, focus on each other, focus on the world. And several positive effects result from an agreement between our personal values and our community values in the church. When our personal community values agree here, we feel an increased identification with the church and a genuine community relationships within the church. So when I come in and I embrace the values and I apply them to my lives and I live by those values and they align with the values of the church, then I feel like I'm home. And that's the way it should be. And when I'm at home, I'm home with my family, which is all of us. And that's the way it should be. We also experience higher levels of satisfaction in various activities in which the ministry happens. We feel like we're making progress. And we've seen progress in several ministries throughout and things that we've, we've done have just kind of exploded in some instances and maybe not exploded in others, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't come easy. Sometimes it takes more commitment from the family. We experience a greater team effectiveness in many endeavors, and truthfully, we see a lower number of people leaving this church to find another church because it's more comfortable for them. One of the best compliments we hear from visitors is that coming to Lakes Region Vineyard is like coming home. And that's what we want to be. We want to be home. We want to be a family. And the values and beliefs that we're going to be looking at and examining, and we're going to be taking them apart, we're going to be looking at them again and applying them to our lives, much like the way I ask my students to turn them over and over and over until they become such a part ingrained in us and not just something in the background of our personality or who we are. They need to be real and alive in us, not just a list of values in a book. It's what we must believe. It's what must affect and influence our behaviors and our attitudes. But I want to step back to Micah 
chapter 6, verse 8. In the message, it reads as follows. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love, and don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. That's a good word. I want to take God seriously. I want to issue a challenge for all of us. That we take time to consider what we value most in our lives and in our church. And as we do so, we must remain people of virtue, people of compassion, and people of worship. Because that's the life. That's the life. So if you want to make yourself available to God, I want, to, I want to incorporate what Scott said earlier. The word came forth earlier that, that there's a sense of barriers. There's a sense of not quite measuring up. And the Holy Spirit wants to come and minister to that today. If you're a person who struggles with who you are in God, if you can't walk confidently without arrogance, and you want to be able to do that, we want to pray together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you all to stand. Stand with me and we're going to pray. Pray.